0: Welcome back to the Hemming Brainiac List podcast. Talking about Chapter 9 of Hail and Farewell. <clears throat> um, BYO discussion prompts didn't have much to say. Uh, I can't even remember what happened in the last half of Chapter 9, to be honest. Um, so let's just skip to our comments. Techrific says, The Fomorians are a supernatural race in an Irish mythology often portrayed as hostile... ...and monstrous beings. I think George might be a Fomorian wink face. Let's have a look at these Fomorians. They look like... A little... Uh, ...okay. Interesting. Kind of like little troll human... ...things. Fomorians. I've never heard that word before, this. You'd think... ...you know, something from... ...mythology. You would have at least heard the word before. Fomori are a supernatural race in, race in Irish mythology who are often portrayed as hostile and monstrous. Originally, they were said, to be the earliest inhabitants of Ireland. Yeah, they just look like kind of trolls. Cool. Well, that's cool. I wish this story actually was about Fomorians. Um Swim said, the mum fishy, said, Another hate read today. I can't remember a protagonist. I've disliked more. Wow, he is indeed an insufferable dickhead. Um, there's no other. There's no other way to say it. He's just an annoying dickhead. Um, I guess I just did say it in another way, but you know, those two ways of saying it were synonymous, so they only count as one for those keeping score. Um, chapter ten. The castle hall was empty and grey, only the autumn dusk in the gothic window and the shuffle of the octogenarian butler sounding very dismal as he potted across the tessellated pavement. On learning from him that Mr Martin was still writing, I wandered from the organ into the morning room and sat by the fire, waiting for Edward's footstep. It came towards me about half an hour afterwards, slow and ponderous, not at all like the step of the successful dramatist, or my suspicions that his, his third act was failing him, were aggravated uh, by his unwillingness to tell me about the alterations he was making in it. All he could tell me was that he, was, he had been in Maynooth last summer and had heard the priests declaring that they refused to stultify themselves, and as the word seemed to him typical of the country, he would put it frequently into the mouths of his politicians. How drama was to arise, out of the verb to stultify, did not seem clear, and in the middle of my embarrassment, he asked me where I had been all the afternoon, brightening up somewhat, when I told him that I had been to cool. In a curious, detached way, he is always eager for a gossip, and we talked of Yeats and Lady Gregory for a long time, and of our walk around the lake, Edward arousing from my description of the swans to ask me where I had left the poet, at the gate, why didn't you ask him to stay for dinner, and while I sought for an answer, he added, maybe it's just as well you didn't for today is Friday, and the summon I was expecting from the Galloway hasn't arrived, but Yeats and I aren't Catholics. My house is a Catholic house, and those who don't care to conform to the rule, your dogmatism exceeds that of an archbishop. And I told him that. I had heard my father say that an archbishop from Tom, Dr. McHale, had meat always on his table on Friday, and when asked how it was, how this was answered that he didn't know who had gotten dispensation and who hadn't. Edward muttered that he was not to be taken in by such remarks about dispensations. He knew very well I had never troubled to ask for one. Why should I, since I am not a Catholic? You, if you aren't a Catholic, why don't you become a Protestant?' In the first place, one doesn't become a Protestant, one discovers oneself a Protestant, it seems to me that an agnostic has as much right to eat meat on Friday as a Protestant. Agnosticism isn't a religion, it contains no dogma. It comes to this then, that you're going to make me dine off a couple of boiled eggs. And I walked about the room indignant, but not because I care much about my food, Two eggs and a potato are more agreeable to me in, in intelligent society than grouse would be in stupid. But two eggs and a potato forced down my throat on a theological fork in a gothic house had cost £20,000 to build. Two eggs and a potato without hope of cheese. The Irish did not eat cheese and I am addicted to it, especially to double Gloucester in my school days, that cheese was a wonderful solace in my life. But after leaving school, I asked for it in vain and gave up hope of ever eating it again. It was not till the 90s that a waiter mentioned it. Stilton, sir. Chester, double Gloucester, Double gloucester, double, you have double gloucester. Uh, I thought it was Is it extinct. You have it, then bring it, I cried out so joyfully that he couldn't drag himself... Uh, from my sight. An excellent cheese, I told him, but somewhat fallen from the high standard it had assumed in my imagination. Even so, if there had been a slice of double Gloucester in the larder of Tillyer, I should not have minded the absence of the salmon, and if Edward had pleaded that his servants would be scandalised to see anyone who was supposed to be a Catholic eat meat on Fridays, I should have answered, but everybody knows I am not a Catholic. I have written it in half a dozen books, and if Edward had said, but my servants don't read your books, I shall be obliged. If you will put up with fasting fair for once, I would have eaten an egg and a potato without murmur or remark, but to be told I must dine off two eggs and a potato, so this, so that his conscience should not be troubled during the night, worried me, and I am afraid I cast many an angry look across the table. An apple pie came up, and some custards, and these soothed me. He discovered some marmalade in a cupboard, and Edward is such a sociable being that when his pipe is alight, that I forgave his theological prejudices for the sake of his ascetic. We peered into reproductions of Fra Angelico's Frisecose, and studied Leonard's sketches for draperies, Edward liked Ibsen from the beginning and will like him to the end and swift, but he cannot abide Schumann's melodies. He had often talked of these great men and their works, but never did he talk as delightfully as on that Friday evening right on into Saturday morning, nor was it till Sunday morning that his soul began to trouble him again. As I was finishing breakfast, he had the face to ask me to get ready to go to Mass, but Edward... I don't believe in Mass. My presence will be only, will you hold your tongue, George, and not give scandal, he answered, his voice trembling with emotion. Everybody knows that I don't believe in the Mass. If you aren't a Catholic, why don't you become a Protestant? And he began pushing me from behind. I've told you before that one may become a Catholic, but one discovers oneself a Protestant. But why am I going to Gort? Because you had the bad taste to describe our church in a drama in muslin and to make such remarks about our parish priests, that he said if you showed yourself in Adrahan again, he'd throw dirty water at you. If you send me to Gort, I shall be able to describe Father Dash's church. Will you not be delaying one more word? It isn't on account of my description of Father Dash's church that you won't take me to Adrahan. The real reason is because you, at your request, mind you, I asked Father Dash not to spit upon your carpet when he came to dinner at Tillyra and we're afraid to ask a priest to refrain from any of his habits, and left the room. I only asked you to draw his attention to the spittoon, which I did, but he said such things were only a botheration, and my admonitions of the virtue of cleanliness angered him, so that he never You'll be late for mass. And you Wellan, now are you listening to me? Do you hear me? You aren't to spare the whip, Away you go, you'll only be just in time, and you, Wellen, you're not to delay putting up the horse. Do you hear me? Wellan drove away rapidly, and when I looked back, I saw my friend hurrying across the park, tumbling into the sunk fence in his anxiety not to miss the confiture, and Wellen, who saw the accident too, feared that the master is after hurting himself. Happily, this was not so. Edward was soon on his feet again, running across the field like a hare, the driver said out of politeness, I suppose. Hardly like a hare, I said, hoping to draw more original simile from Willan's rustic mind. But he only coughed a little, and shook up the reins which he held in a shapeless freckled hand. Do you like the parish priest at Gort better than father, Dash, at Adrahan? Well, they're well matched. Welland answered, a thick-necked, long-bodied fellow with a rim of faded hair showing under a bowler hat that must have been about the stables for years, for years, collecting dust along the corn bin and getting greasy in the harness room. "'One reason that it must have been black once upon a time, and that Welland must have been a young man long ago, and one reason that he must have shaved last week or three weeks ago, for there was a stubble on his chin.' But in spite of the reason, Welland seemed like something that had always been, some old rock that had lain among the brambles since the days of Finn MacGool, and his sullenness seemed as permanent as that of the rocks, and his face too seemed like a worn rock, for it was without profile, and I could only catch a sight of a great flabby ear and a red freckled neck, about which was tied a Welland comforter that had once been white, He answered my question roughly without troubling to turn his head like a man who wishes to be left to himself and acquiescing in his humour I fell to thinking of Father James Brown the parish priest of Carnacan, in the 60s and of the day that he came over to Moore Hall in his ragged cassock and battered Beretta with McHale's Irish translation of Homer under his arm saying that the Archbishop had caught the Homeric ring in many a hexameter My father smiled at the priest's enthusiasm, but I followed this tall, gaunt man of picturesque appearance, whose large nose with tufted nostrils I remember to this day, into the blue room to ask him if the Irish were better than the Greek. He was a little loth to say it was not, but this rustic scholar did not carry patriotism into literature, and he admitted on being pressed that he liked the Greek better, and I listened to his great rotund voice pouring through his wide Irish mouth, while he read me some eight or ten lines of Homer, calling my attention to the famous line that echoes the clash of the wave on the beach, and the rustle of the shingle of the waves sinks back. My curiosity about Macau's translation interested him in me, and it was arranged soon after between him and my father that he should teach me Latin, and I rode a pony over every morning to the thatched cottage under Ilex trees, where the pleasantest hours of my childhood was spent in a parlour, lined with books from floor to ceiling, reading there a little Virgil, and persuading the old priest into talk about Quintilian Seneca. One day he spoke of Propertius, and the beauty of the name led me to ask Father James if I might read him, and not receiving a satisfactory answer, my curiosity was stimulated and Caesar studied diligently for a month. Shall I know enough Latin in six months to read Propertius? It will be many years before you will be able to read him. He's a very difficult writer. Could Martin Blake read Perpetius? Martin Blake was Father James's other pupil, and these Blakes are neighbours of ours and live on the far side of Carnacun. Father James was always telling me of the progress Martin was making in the Latin language, and I was always asking Father James when I should overtake him. But he held out very little hope that I that it would be possible for me to ever to outdo Martin in scholarship. He may have said this because he could not look upon me as a promising pupil, or he may have been moved by a hope to start a spirit of emulation in me. He was a wise man, and the reader will wonder how it was that with such a natural interest in languages and such excellent opportunities, I did not become a classical scholar. The reader's legitimate curiosity shall be satisfied. All right. well, let us delay satisfaction for another day thanks for listening, see you tomorrow